If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Maybe four times a year, we go out to have dinner, the two of us, four times a year, and we work together seven days a week. And the reason is we go, we go out to eat. What'd you do today, Teller? Same right. fucking thing you did, Penn. <laughs> Same. What'd you do 20 years ago? Same thing you did. What was it like to be with Letterman? Same as it was when I was with Letterman. <laughs> what was it like to do Saturday Night Live? Exactly like it was for you. That's so interesting. Hi, my name is Penn Gillette, and I am more than half by height of Penn and Teller, but I've been known to lie. Hi there, everybody. Oh, I am so excited for today. Welcome back to Off the Beat. This is your host, Brian Baumgartner, and today, as you just heard, I am talking with, well, with one of the greatest magic men in history, the extraordinary and extraordinarily interesting Penn Gillette, who was able to take a field that was filled with, quote, greasy guys in tuxes with a ton of birds, that's his words, not mine, and turn it into something truly Truly spectacular. You probably know him 
as half of the duo Penn and Teller because the two of them have been working side by side for decades, 47 years they have known each other, Penn told me today. Honestly, probably longer than some of you have been alive. I know much longer than many of you have been alive. They've had hugely successful TV shows like Penn & Teller Bullshit and Penn & Teller Fool Us. They've had a residency at the Rio in Vegas since 2001. Penn has written books, had story ideas adapted into amazing television episodes. He played freaking Drell on the 90s version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. He has done it all, all driven by his deep intellectual curiosity and his his pure devotion to keeping things fun and interesting and, much like Greg Daniels on The Office, truthful. So with that little primer, I'm going to let Penn come on so you can hear from the man himself. I had so much fun talking to Penn today. We didn't know each other before today, but I tell you this, we're going to be friends for life. Ladies and gentlemen, Penn Gillette. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. What's up, Penn? Boy, that countdown told me just when to tense up. I got really <laughs> tense. I had five seconds to get tense, and I did it. How are oh, you, sir? I'm so good. I am a long admirer of you and your work. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Well, it is mutual. Uh, my son has watched uh, The Office all the way through, I believe, four times. Nice. I, I can't say that I've watched every episode with him every time, but if I want to go in the home theater to watch something, it's always you on the TV. (laughs) How old is he? He is 16. Okay. That's, that's, it feels now whether they like the show or don't like the show, it's become cultural required viewing. It is. It is. And um, over supper, he will do whole hunks occasionally he'll <laughs> he'll start speaking a little more wittily than usual and we realize he's quoting the office <laughs> oh that is awesome i oh my gosh it, it, it your life your career is so fascinating to me i'm i'm really excited to dive in i want to start where you started you grew up in what you described as a dead factory town in a school system that taught you absolutely nothing, Greenfield, Massachusetts. That's correct. So how how did you how did you occupy your time you, growing up? You are a well educated man. Well, I am we'll not. See. I am not. Um, <laughs> I uh, well, when I was uh, about twelve years old, I realized that I couldn't masturbate all the time. <laughs> So I learned to juggle. I didn't think working in show business or the arts or performance was a possibility. I didn't okay. think anybody ever really did that, you know? And when I said, I was, I, I want to preface this by saying I was very close to my father and mother, and my dad was not 
did not say this in any sort of discouraging way. He was just saying what we all felt. When I said that I kind of felt like I might want to do performing, his he said, well, well, you think you're Johnny Carson? I mean, that, <laughs> and he wasn't saying it like, oh, he wasn't, being you an think ass. he wasn't being an ass at all. He was being just, oh, so that's what you think you can do? And I said, I... I think there are other people besides Johnny Carson. I mean, there, there are people that like run cameras and move curtains and stuff. And he went like, I guess so. You know, um, he was so supportive, but had no understanding that you could actually make a living wage making a joke. Right. So I thought, and I guess I'm still like this. I believe that you could solve everything with practice. So okay. my idea was I was in Greenfield, Massachusetts. I would be a good enough juggler that the art talent scouts who were looking all over the world would say, oh, there's a guy who could juggle well. Let's bring him into show business. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. No. But, um, okay. I, I got to be a good juggler. Okay. Why? I don't know, but I got to be a good juggler. And strangely enough, that ended up leading me into show business, which is the most amazing part of the story, is this 12-year-old hairbraid scheme actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was it about juggling or how how did that yeah, how did how did it start there? What you just liked holding the balls, or what you're like? No, no. Okay, I no. like nothing about it. Okay. I wanted to be in music. Okay, okay. I, all I cared about was music. I did not care about comedy. I did not care about juggling. I cared about music, but I didn't have perfect pitch or even relative pitch. My my sense of tone was not good. Uh, my sense of rhythm was very good. I was a drummer, but there were people better than me at music at my high school. Okay. And we all know that everyone in Hollywood was the best in their high school at whatever they're doing. There was not a better musician at Jimi Hendrix's high school <laughs> <Right>. than Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. <laughs> in Hibbing Public High School, there was not a better songwriter than Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Okay. The right. fact that the fact that Phil Tatro was a better musician than me at Greenfield okay. Public High School, and that Phil Tatro didn't have a chance of being a professional, said, "Well, I'm not gonna." So uh, I I loved music tremendously, but I thought, "Well, I'm not going to do that." The hand that I'm dealt does not give me that. And I thought I wasn't good looking enough. You know, I was tall enough for basketball, but I hated sports. Okay. So you, you know, you, you fan out the cards you've been dealt and you say, what do you got? And I said, I can't do anything, but if I practice a lot, I can learn to juggle. Okay. So I went for, now it turns out that probably if I had practiced as much on music as I had on juggling, I could have probably been with four or five incredibly lucky breaks, a D-level drummer or bass player, maybe at a wedding band level or maybe okay. at a local local band level. But, you know, uh, 
you're going to enter an arena. It's like why I never write anything or talk about love because I'm not going to go one-on-one with William Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not going to enter a competition where I automatically lose. So in, in juggling, I didn't know that, you know, Ignatov was going to be a much better juggler than me, but it didn't matter because I was good enough. I was good enough to get to Ringling Brothers and I was good enough to get those places. And then I discovered this thing that I would have never discovered without juggling, which is I had a, I had a juggling team called the Toss-Ups with Mike Motion, who was to win a MacArthur Genius Grant for juggling. And the two of us would perform $15 for a nursing home or or do talent shows. And this funny thing happened. We started out just coming out and I would say, hello, we're the toss-ups and we would juggle. And then I would start doing little introductions to each juggling thing. And I would start doing longer introductions to each (laughs) juggling thing. (laughs) And then I discovered that the less I juggled, the more successful our juggling troupe was. Okay. So that gave me the confidence that maybe I could do talking as well as juggling for a living. Right. And if I had not had the, I would have never had the bravery to attempt stand up or morning DJ or anything like that. But when I was hired to juggle and people said afterwards, oh, you talk really good. I felt like that gave me, it was like, I'm going to talk a little bit, but it's okay because afterwards I'll do really hard stuff. <laughs> You'll do, jug- yes, exactly. <laughs> now, looking back, were you were you funny starting um, out? You were entertaining. I, I, think, I, I think I was, um, I think I was okay funny in right. my way. And it also gave me a kind of freedom that you never get because I never prepared what I was going to say. I was going to ask that next. We only prepared the juggling. So it allowed me as a 14, 15, 16 year old to do a hundred percent verbal improvisation in front of people, which you never get to do. Never. Right. Never. Never. So by the time I met Teller and wanted to do magic, I was already very comfortable walking out on stage as, you know, as the crew makes fun of me, they say, give me 20 minutes and I'll give you an introduction to a 30 second trick. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to ask you about this because obviously we're going to transition and, and, and talk about where your life went. But I, I read something fascinating that something that was a fundamental building block for you in your life w- became your disdain for the amazing Kreskin. Yeah. Now <laughs> it, it is amazing. It I, is, wa- I, wa- I want you to talk to me about that, how, how he came into your life and then how you felt when, when you found out that you'd been duped to me, it's like the mosquito being the most dangerous animal on earth. 
Okay. <laughs> you know, hippopotamus is second. Hippopotamus <laughs> deserves it. Mosquito does not deserve it. This dipshit does not have a right to have the influence in my life that he had, but God damn it, he did. He was carrying malaria. Who knew? Kreskin <laughs> appeared on a television show, which I don't remember which one, okay. but I know it wasn't Carson because okay. Carson would not let people like that on. But he appeared on a, probably a daytime talk show. I would probably guess Mike Douglas, maybe, Merv Griffin or something. And he did a scientific experiment with extrasensory perception. Okay. And he was flogging an ESP science magic kit that had a little pendulum with idiomatic movements and ESP cards and that kind of jive. And I was a real fan of science. I was an avid reader. I considered myself to, to really like science, you know. So um, I watched him have this demonstration of a scientific principle. And I talked to my parents who were not wealthy. My dad was a jail guard, you know, and said, there's this science thing I want to get. It's Kreskin's ESP kit. And we bought this kit. And at the time, my sister, who's much older than me, had moved out. So I was essentially, we were a three-person family. And I made my parents run through these endless experiments with the ESP kit. And then, and I refer you, of course, to the Dewey Decimal System, which I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Juggling and magic are very close together in the Dewey Decimal System because Dewey knew these were junk art forms. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Greenfield Public Library, where I spent a lot of time, there were two books on juggling, which I had memorized. And there were a bunch of books on magic. And as as chance would have it, uh, and the way I tell this story is probably not true, but it's the way I remember it. I picked up the book by Dunninger, who was a mentalist in the 40s, very famous. And I opened it up, and I remember it as seeing the same trick Creston had done on TV. When I think about that objectively, I say, probably wasn't true, you know? But I saw something that made me see that you could do tricks like this with trickery. Right. And my reaction could only be justified by being 13, 14 years old. Absolutely inappropriate, out of scale, every way. I stopped doing any science. I went from an A student to a failing student in science. I hated all magicians. I hated all scientists. Because these were people who would lie to children. Hmm. And I put that chip on my shoulder so strongly and said, well, you know, Bob Dylan doesn't lie to children. <laughs> John Lennon doesn't lie to children. Jack Kerouac doesn't lie to children. Camus doesn't lie to children. You know, Lenny Bruce doesn't lie to children. Fuck the scientists. Fuck the magicians. I'm going with the people who don't lie to children. Um, <laughs> I also had a chip on my shoulder about magicians because you tune into, and I, I'm older than you, I believe, by quite a bit, but I could tune into the uh, Hollywood Palace. And even when I was young, Ted Sullivan. Yeah. And 
they would have a great band on, like The Who. And then before that would be a greasy guy in a tux with a lot of birds torturing women in front of Mylar to bad small dick rip-off white boy music. And I was like, stop him. Break the band out. Why on earth wouldn't The Who do three songs? Right. And let them, you know, and as nobody knows, the Beatles' first appearance on Ed Sullivan was followed by a magician. Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until I met Teller, and Teller told me, and, and Amazing Randy, when I read Amazing Randy's book, uh, Flim Flam, and then I met Teller shortly after that, I understood that you could do magic honestly. And that also that magic wasn't special. I mean, by my childhood definition of lying, when you go on the office, you're lying, you know, right. because you're not actually working in an office. It's right. a studio. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And you can be honest by just saying we're in a, within a proscenium. Right. Robert De Niro is not Travis Bickle. He does not drive a taxi cab. There's a proscenium. And that can extend to magic. And then Teller said to me a sentence that is complete and utter nonsense that we have explored for 47 years, which is that magic is an intellectual art form. And that sounds like crazy talk until you think that music goes to your lizard brain. You can tap your foot right away. You know, right. poetry goes to your heart. Even literature goes directly. But magic, you have to formulate what's impossible and talk about what doors are closed to allow that to be done by the means that you know. So magic engages the intellect at a level that no other art form does. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just right. saying I believe that's a true thing. And what's interesting to me is that most other magicians piss that away. They say, put your doubt aside, come on a magical journey with me. No, schmuck. The important thing about magic is the unwilling suspension of disbelief. Shakespeare says, okay, we're on an island now, and there's been a shipwreck, and this guy you saw in a deodorant commercial is actually a king. And the audience goes, okay, Bill, what you got? <laughs> right? right? And in magic, you come out and go, I'm holding this quarter in my hand, and now it's gone. And you're supposed to look at that with doubt. Because he doesn't say, here's a right. quarter, let's pretend it's gone. <laughs> right. And magicians present it as though they are doing willing suspension of disbelief, whereas the entire art form is the unwilling suspension of disbelief. Which, by the way, the phrase unwilling suspension of disbelief was coined by the greatest mind in magic, which is Teller, who I've ridden on his back for 47 years. Wow. I've never thought about it like that, right? Of course, because I grew up doing theater. Mm -hmm. And so it was all about, you know, I mean, there was a lot of discussion. And then, of course, when I was doing more experimental, 
things. It was about, well, how do we change this? Right. But like there are rules and the rule is once you sit down, there is a willing suspension of disbelief. Right. And you were 15 years old saying, you know, I'm, I'm a salesman. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And the yeah. audience was going, okay. <laughs> right. We're going to go with you here and see where it transports us. Right. Okay. But, yeah. When the magic show, the audience never says, okay. Right. This box they, is completely empty. Maybe not. We don't right. know. Show us. Bang the back of it. Okay. Turn it around. Yeah. It's empty. We're not sure. <laughs> right we don't know ow sure looks empty you made it look empty but we know we know you're a magician so may not be empty right so it's very different than other forms of theater the journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road but if you're ready for a change consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 
The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. In your show, what's what's more important? Well, what where do you feel like you have achieved your greatest success? Is it the tricks or is it the words in between that you started doing when you were 12 or 13? Uh, I I don't think that can be separated. Uh, I don't even okay. see them as different. Okay. Uh, I I believe and, and tell her too that what matters is the ideas. And Teller and I Usually, I can't say always, but when we're at our best, we start with an idea that we share that's in our hearts that we want to explore. And the tricks and the jokes come later. And for me, uh, and this is something that with other comedians, even though my social circle is full of comedians, there's a difference because I add the jokes last. Okay. You know, we will run through stuff until I feel the ideas are clear and then I'll kind of try to make it funny. Right. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but there are very few where I started out going, this is the joke we got to get to. We got to get to this joke. Right. It may, it may surprise lay people that I cut a lot of jokes that get huge laughs, but that either it's the wrong kind of laugh or it doesn't build the idea. That's genius. You know, you, you, you've got to do that. Uh, I have a really good example of that. There's a, <laughs> there's a joke, an obvious joke, absolutely clearly obvious joke, that three of us in Vegas did simultaneously because it's an obvious ad lib. We all got huge laughs, and we all cut it the next night. Uh, <laughs> that was when Vegas first opened up. You can figure the kinds of people that first came to Vegas. They were the kind of people that were not risk averse for whatever reasons to right. be polite, to be polite. And it was also, and this is a little bit chilling. It was wonderful for the gambling industry. The people who came in early without fear of COVID were also big gamblers. Right. So I was doing an act. Michael Goudeau, a juggler was doing an act. Piff the magic dragon, the magician was doing an act. And all of us at different places said, there was one moment when I was holding a torch and I said, if you doubt this is real fire, I'll come into the audience and stick this into your eye. Okay? Just a little turn. And then I followed it one night, because it was obvious, by saying, but I'll be safe about it. I'll put a mask on. Huge laugh, after which I hated every person in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Because they weren't laughing like, oh, this is a pandemic we're in. They were laughing, oh, those mass things are bullshit. Right. And it was like, whoa. And it was really funny because I was telling that story to Piff like a week later. And Piff went, yeah, I did the same joke and cut it the same night. Right. <laughs> and then wow. Godot said, me too. I was yeah. up on a unicycle juggling knives. And I said, I want to make this safer. I'll put a mask on. And he went. Whoa, no, I didn't need to do that joke. No, no. 
<laughs> but that's a case of cutting it for what I would call moral or emotional reasons. Right. And then there are many, many more cases of cutting it because that that confuses the trick. That confuses the idea. It's so interesting to hear you say that. I, I, I've discussed this a little bit on here, but it's why I consider Steve Carell to be maybe the greatest improviser of now and up there with any of the legends. And it's because of that. I watched it for 10 years. He had full license to try and do whatever he wanted. But what he was able to do was to improvise on character and on story. And, mm -hmm. and the ability to do that day after day after day and stay there and not take the cheap joke, not take a joke that we can land because we know we're going to get a laugh that doesn't further the story or in in your case, what what you're wanting to explore in this particular show or whatever, and stay true to the character that you've created. A have you created a character? Geez, you know, uh, of course. I mean, of, of course. Uh, you can't claim to be yourself on stage because I don't say the same things every night and do the same tricks. However, I try, I don't know, try gives me too much credit. I don't have a choice. I'm not a good actor. I haven't studied acting ever. I have no skills in acting. Uh, I'm a performer. And that distinction is unimportant to lay people and crystal clear to anybody who is one of the two. <laughs> Hmm. So I don't think at all about character. I think first person myself all the time. I realize that's a cheat and that's a lie. And if we're to analyze it, I'm obviously doing a character, but I have removed that line of make-believe. And I believe that I'm really saying on stage what I feel. Therefore. I have to align that as much as possible. So when they bring me in for acting roles, and I've done quite a few things, I always say to them, listen to me as I walk in the room, look at me. If that's precisely what you want for the character, <laughs> hire me. If you want things faster, slower, uh, louder, softer, angrier, pleasanter, sweeter, kinder, I can do all of that. But if you want someone different, you've got to pick someone else that's in that room because <laughs> I can't do it. There are people that I know who are men of a hundred voices. I am a man of one voice and one right. character. You can put me in a different outfit. Right. You can comb my hair differently. <laughs> you can give me a different name. But motherfucker, I sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You, Which makes Steve Carell even more amazing to me. Right. Well, he is. But yeah. your career, it seems to me, which is, you've discussed this a little bit, it revolves around your commitment to representing truth accurately. Do you think everything that has come after reverts back to Kreskin? Like, do you think... <laughs> Do you, do you think your entire career was is really built because of that as a young age and you wanting to do something different, be defined differently? 
Well, you know, in in, in Moby Dick, uh, which all I ever mentioned is Moby Dick and Bob Dylan. In Moby Dick, I, I, um, it is said that Starbuck, arguably the hero character, doesn't see cause and effect. And Ahab sees everything as cause and effect. We live in a world that we can't understand where cause and effect are the most important thing and a little bit beyond our grasp, even at a Newtonian level, never mind at particle physics level. We can never get, you know, one pool ball hitting another pool ball. By the time you get to the fourth or fifth hit, you have to know every particle in the universe to be able to predict what happens next. So if I want to even pretend to be even slightly thinking about the truth, I have to say no to that. The story that I've created about my life, which is definitely not true, right? because Kreskin did not cause any of this, but the story, I do feel that there is a an obsession with what's real and what's not that most people go through in their teen years that I didn't outgrow. I really, really care. And it is an impossible task because truth is relative. We have not got the experiential skills to really get to the kind of truth that I emotionally want. So what I am doing is impossible. And to even claim that I'm trying it is pretentious and presumptuous, but emotionally, the answer is yes. Okay. But it's only emotionally, not in any sort of reality. Um, you went, you mentioned this briefly, you went to Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey greatest show on earth clown college. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Were you a graduate? Yes. Do you have, do you have a degree? I have a, I have a bachelor's in buffoonery. Okay. Clown college was a, Two things. It was a publicity vehicle because they got a Sunday magazine story in the New York Times every year and also something in Parade magazine every year. And uh, that was worth the amount of money that they put into it. They also really did train clowns and were able to get people at a very low wage that were very, very skilled. And because of all the hype about it, they got really good people and they got them really cheap and they got a lot of press out of it. It was a good deal for everyone. Having said that, I'm afraid that I sound a little bit cynical about their motives. Uh, that made it a business decision, but their motives are also pure. They wanted to get funny people together and do really funny things. For me, it was incredibly important because um, I was the youngest there. I was 17. I had just gotten out of high school that did not go well. And it was the first time, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this without, uh, without any bullshit modesty. It's the first time I was around in person people who were funnier than me. Mm-hmm. And they were a lot funnier than me. But more important than that, because that's just competition bullshit, who cares? More important than that, it was the first time I could talk to people who spoke seriously about comedy. Now you had that experience probably at nine years old. 
I never experienced it until I was 17. I would read National Lampoon. I would play the Lenny Bruce records. And I would say to my friends, isn't it really interesting how they're doing? And they would go, ha ha, it's really funny. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, that's what you're supposed to do, by the way, right. if right. you're not, if that's not your life, right? Right, right. You know, that's but right. To me, it was, you know, Lenny Bruce is, is inventing this whole form and look at how this puts together and how this goes from the joke to his divorce to his trial. Look how all that's happening. And look at National Lampoon, how they're, oh, Michael O'Donoghue was, and they just shut up, you know, yeah. shut up, they answered to me. <laughs> and I got to clown college and as silly as that name is and everything, I was with 35 people who had spent longer than me, every one of them, more seriously than me, and better than me, thinking about those ideas. And the fact that they were thinking, and I know you understand this, the fact they were thinking about how to do a pants drop right does not change the seriousness. That's right. You know, uh, they were trying to find where that part of our heart that laughs lives. And it doesn't right. matter whether you're using a seltzer bottle or whether you're Lenny Bruce, there is, there's something about thinking about that that really matters. And those two and a half months where I, you know, did trapeze, learned to walk a wire, you know, did double backflips on the trampoline. Right. Uh, they only let me in because I was a good juggler, right? <laughs> right. They didn't let me in because I was funny. Right. They let me in, and I was, and I know this for a fact, because talking to the administration later, I was the last person it picked and only in because someone else got sick. Right. I was the alternate. So I least, least deserved to be there. And therefore, it might have been the best experience for me. <laughs> right. You know, you know, if you're the worst one, you know what I mean? If you're in a band and you're the best guy in the band, quit. Right. If you're in an improv group and you're the funniest, quit. You right. want to be the worst. Find that's another, your goal. That's right. I I was going to say, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm sure that you do not. I don't talk about it very often. Now, this is not circus. Are you familiar with uh, Jacques Lecoq? Sure, of course. Yeah, so I did not go to his <laughs> clown right. college in a way, right. but I studied and did many, many shows in the theater with with his direct descendants and, oh, really? felt, and felt like in a way, yes, Théâtre de la Jeune Lune uh, sure. was French and uh, American company performing in Minneapolis. I did a lot of shows with them. And there's something you just said that I haven't thought about in a long, long time, which is like analyzing the pants drop. Like mm -hmm. at what exactly how do we do this thing? Now, it's not exactly the same. It was not circus clowning, but clowning in another way. And in fact, this podcast that you're on right now is called Off the Beat because of a director that I worked with there who taught me that comedy, and I'm translating that to being life, happens off the beat. That true comedy happens in unexpected moments, not in the moments that we think that it should. Yeah, has to be. And uh, learning to internalize that rhythm is, is really important. You know, 
by all association. I mean, people at the cheesy clown college that I went to and the people at the uh, classy clown college that you were involved in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. did mate occasionally. Yeah, of course. You know, they Absolutely. were the same they were the same species. <laughs> right. Yes. Not long after you left, you met Teller. Hmm. I met Teller before I went to clown college. Met oh, him. you met, you met. And then I met started when I was working. In, I was in high school. He was teaching high school. We met different high okay. schools. Which incidentally, uh, if I hadn't convinced, and yes, I convinced, he did not want to. Had I not convinced Teller to take a sabbatical from teaching uh, in Lawrence High School in New Jersey, if I had not convinced him to do that, the very next year, the first student enrolled in his class was John Stewart. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who was signed up to take Mr. Teller's Latin and Greek classics class. I was very excited about it. As far as I know, the only person ever excited <laughs> about taking a class was John Stewart. And John Stewart has said many times that his only goal in show business is to be the more famous person from Lawrence High than the teacher who abandoned him from the class he wanted to take. <laughs> The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it Every rival, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Why does your working relationship, why does it work so well? I mean, here, here's the question you've only been asked 900,000 <laughs> times, but it's fascinating to me. So I think it's because of an absence of love. Um, <laughs> respect is more powerful working relationship than love. Okay. Many of your greatest teams fell in love. Lennon and McCartney were undoubtedly in love. Martin and Lewis, whoa. I mean, <laughs> embarrassingly in love. Um, Gilbert and Sullivan for the first year, probably in love. Jagger and Richards, we now found out actually physically in love. Certain people, you walk into a room with them. We don't know why. It may be the distance their eyes are apart. It may be pheromones. But you walk into a room and you have a cuddly feeling with them. You want to be close with them. You want to move with them. And I'm calling it sexual, and it is, but it doesn't mean sex partners. It just means right. affection, warmth, whatever. And there are other people, and I have friends of both kinds, that your relationship would be exactly as rich if it were only over the internet. It's completely intellectual and isn't tied to that. When I met Teller, there was a complete and utter lack of cuddly feeling. Okay. We weren't emotionally drawn to each other. We did not want to be in the same room together. We did not want to be close. But I had never met anyone more intellectually stimulating. And we both believed very early on that we did better stuff together than we did separately. Now, what happens is if you're in love, the first moment you're not in love is really traumatic. The first mm -hmm. moment you have a horrible disagreement that gets personal, the first moment someone else enters your world, you know, when you fall in love with somebody that maybe is more sexual, those things crumble. Teller and I, when we did not get along, when we did not particularly like each other, that was not consequential. That meant nothing. You're working at a 7-Eleven. The guy who cleans the slurping machine pissed you off. Who cares? I got gum to sell, you know? Right. So Teller and I, over 47 years, he's my closest friend. I spent all day yesterday with him in the hospital. He gets out today. He had bypass surgery, and he's recovering well. And uh, I cried my eyes out. And when my children were born, 
the first person to hold them, other than my wife and I, was Teller. When our parents died, the first people we talked to, my children insist that Teller is my BFF. We are very, very close. It is an intellectual bond that then spread to emotional with a great deal of time to have that happen. Right. And still, people are a little shocked when they work with us at how formal we are. We work fairly formally and fairly meanly, but it's formal. We arrive on time. We are polite. <laughs> right. We, we, we come there to work, and people have been amazed that Teller and I have heart-wrenching disagreements and the time comes to work and we go right to work. And that's all because there's no one I respect more than Teller and there's a lot of people I love more than Teller. And that's absolutely okay. We also don't socialize very often. Uh, we even have mutual friends who come to town and choose one of us. We're going to dinner <laughs> with Penn tonight. We don't usually go, I mean, maybe three or four times a year. I mean, now when he was in the hospital, I spent a lot more time with him socially, of course. But on a normal year, maybe four times a year, we go out to have dinner, the two of us, four times a year, and we work together seven days a week. And the reason is we go, we go out to eat. What'd you do today, Teller? Same right. fucking thing you did, Penn. <laughs> Same. What'd you do 20 years ago? Same thing you did. What was it like to be with Letterman? Same as it was when I was with Letterman. <laughs> what was it like to do Saturday Night Live? Exactly like it was for you, Ben. That's so interesting. Right. I never thought about it like, like that. I mean, you, you hear what, you know, the stereotypical, you know, if, you, if you're working with your spouse and you don't have any time away, then you don't have time to share what else is going on in your life with other people. And yeah, I mean, the ability to tell stories and to share with someone who was there the exact, had the exact also, same experience. And, and let those stories, which is really important, really important, let those stories drift. Right. Because the story that you tell yourself about your life is who you are. And that story has to drift and you can't have someone there busting you. I keep. <laughs> A journal, like a teenage girl, which is what I am, okay. uh, a teenage girl, essentially. I keep a journal every day. So I'll occasionally be backstage in our green room, which we call the monkey room, and Teller will have friends backstage. And for some reason, I haven't rushed home, like I want to eat something. So I sit in the room, and I'll hear Teller telling a story to his friends that I was there for. Right. And he'll be telling it. And I will sit there thinking, this is wrong in every detail. And he's not lying. And then I'll remember that story myself and I'll run it. And occasionally, not often, but like two or three times, I've gone back and been able to get the coordinates to be able to find that in my journal and read what I wrote that the FBI would accept in court. Right. You know, contemporaneous notes. And it does not overlap with the story either of us had in any way. Right. What I find interesting is I've heard Teller and I tell the same story. And 
Teller gives me the punchline and I give Teller the punchline, which is really interesting. You know, <laughs> we reverse, we reverse who gets, who was the clever one and who, right. who did the setup because we know you'll get a bigger laugh when you aren't self-aggrandizing, right? Right. Get a bigger laugh setting up. If you're telling a story of something someone said on the set that was hysterical, you've learned you'll get a bigger laugh if you give that line to someone else. Yes. And you do it because <laughs> right. you want the laugh more than you want the credit. Right. You guys have been together now in residency at the Rio in Vegas, 21 years. Yeah. Uh, longest running headliners to ever continuously play the same hotel in mm -hmm. Vegas. Is this the life you ever imagined for yourself? You, you, you know, no, uh, never possibly imagined, never within my goal set, N never. You know, um, Paul McCartney has said in interviews that the Beatles should have been more successful. Right. He said that. Elvis Presley wanted to be more popular. If you know Howard Stern, when he was the king of all media, he wanted more. If you've met Madonna, she wanted more. If you've read biographies of Houdini, being the most successful person in the United States of America was not enough for Harry right. Houdini. I've never felt that. My goal was to maybe make a middle-class living in something like the arts, show business. My view of show business was very similar to my father's. I would have been very happy being a, you know, a segment producer on a local talk show, setting that up. I would have been really happy to be a uh, local DJ who said a funny thing or two between songs. Teller and I, our goal was maybe 200-seat theaters. And if not, we were thrilled with cruise ships, corporate shows, trade shows. Our heroes were people who had lived their whole life like that. Some of the funniest, most skilled people I know, uh, Johnny Thompson, Billy McComb, all these people no one has heard of, and they worked their entire life in show business and made people laugh their nutsacks off. They amazed them, they thrilled them, and they worked corporate shows and got paid really well, you know, for a guy, you know? Not really well for Robin Williams, you know, right. but really well for a guy. Right. And they were the ones we were aspiring to. And we did the off-Broadway show as kind of like, well, we'll see how it goes. But we had fair gigs booked for after it. <laughs> right. We, we were going right back to being carny trash. We were very happy. It was so uncomfortable when people would interview me when we were playing on Broadway. And it was our first run on Broadway. People said, is this a dream come true? Have you finally lived? And I'd say, no, it never crossed my mind to be on Broadway. That was sincere. When I was off Broadway, it didn't cross my mind to be on Broadway. Right. I just didn't think that was the kind of thing I did. Also, they said, what does it feel like after struggling for all these years to finally have a successful show? And I would say, well, I, I don't mean disrespect. But within six months of Teller and I working together, 
we were making as much money as our dads. Right. And we were doing exactly what we wanted. And we were really proud of the show. So I considered us wicked successful when right. you never even heard of us. You right. know, Neil Simon said, the big difference is from $0 a week to $200 a week doing what you want. And after that, adding zeros doesn't mean anything. It does to Howard right. Stern. It does to Houdini. It does to Madonna. It does to Paul McCartney. It does not to me. And I remember reading the Silverman biography of Houdini, and I'd always identified with Houdini as a child. And this is a wonderfully written book, very, very detailed. Uh, then later, Ratso, the, the Sloman book came out, which is also wonderful. And I'd always felt like I was kind of a Houdini guy because he busted psychics and he cared very much about the truth, and he was a magician. And I read this book and went, wow, I could not be further from Houdini because I am satisfied. Mm. <laughs> I'm content. And that he is a star. He was a star. I will never be a star because I don't feel unfulfilled. The fact that Nobody in China has heard of me, does not bother me at all. <laughs> it, it ate at Elvis. Do you know that? Elvis was bothered by that, that people in China didn't know who he was. That bugged him. As far as I'm concerned, people in China could keep electing the same guy over and over again. And as long as they don't go nuclear, I'm happy with them not knowing who Penn is. Real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're so interesting. I, I, I truly, I could talk to you all day. I, I want to hit a couple of things. This I'm now going to reduce your hit television show bullshit, uh, that ran seven, eight years in one sentence. What was your favorite thing that you debunked on bullshit? Uh, that's a, the most emotional was talking to the dead because I did it right after my mom died. And I had intellectually knew that that was morally wrong, but I never felt it emotionally. I was parroting what Houdini was saying after his mother died, but I never felt it. And when I felt as an atheist that all I had of my mom was the memory of everything she'd said to me and everything we'd done, and that there were people because of a lack of talent and a quest for power, were willing to take people's memories of their loved ones and distort them. Let me tell you, I don't give a fuck about the money. I don't even give a fuck about the truth. The fact that people have someone they love and someone comes in and says, this is what your loved one is thinking or feeling, and that distorts even by that much who that person was to them, fuck you in the neck. That was the one emotionally. The one intellectually that I had a fight for was when we did the anti-anti-vax show, mm. which people say to me, wow, how did you guys do that so many years before the anti-vaxxers? And I say, Jenny McCarthy was killing people well before, well before DeSantos. Um, but um, I, had a, I had a fight for that. Because they said, 
it's not interesting. It's not sexy. And mm-hmm. I said, I will promise you, I will find a woman with larger breasts than Jenny McCarthy, and we will have her topless reading teleprompter with actual facts on vaccines. And, Brian, I delivered. <laughs> now, I had to make a deal. They said if we wanted to do the anti-anti-vax show, that we had to do a show on cheerleading. And I said, give me a fucking break. I got to do bullshit on cheerleading. And they said, yeah, we think it's an interesting subject and we can also get a lot of sexy stuff in there. And I went, oh, fuck me. And then the cheerleading show ended up being one of our better shows because it was fascinating and dealt with sexism and the dangers, the dangers of cheerleading. And so once again, proving I'm wrong about everything. Uh, your, uh, your newest show that's only been, been running 11, 12 years, Penn Penn and Teller fool us, uh, just premiered October the 14th. You can check out the new season of fool us. This, this is, is a take on, on what your core values are, right? Uh, kind of, you know, uh, I will tell you though, uh, Everybody puts the emphasis on magic, as they should. It's what we do to sell it. But one of the things that Teller and I wanted to do, and I'm so gratified that people have noticed this, is we wanted to treat performers on a talent show, in the broad sense, yeah, uh, with kindness. Because I believe anyone who opens up their heart in the arts at all deserves kindness and some of the other shows although they have changed over the years they've mellowed a lot the other shows when we started fool us some of the other shows were um celebrating cruelty in a way that teller and i found unwatchable and also it's very strange but fool us is in a certain way objective right it's not like Oh, you're going to make it in show business because of that wonderful smile. Or, oh, you have a sense of timing. It's, I don't know how you did that. Boom. I don't know. Maybe everyone else, which it seems on the internet, everyone else does. (laughs) (laughs) But we didn't at that time. And that's kind of objective. And I really liked that part of it. I like the part of it that the people we liked the most and who did the best performing didn't necessarily fool us. And the people who fooled us weren't necessarily best. I really enjoyed that. And also, I like the fact we weren't putting our thumb on the scale of show business because uh, I've often said about, you know, American Idol, until you can prove to me that Tiny Tim... Sun Ra, Bob Dylan, and David Allen Coe win. I don't want to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Lest you can prove to me that the absolute nuts that America has embraced are going to win this show. I don't want someone that's singing perfectly on pitch and whose mother is dying of cancer. I want someone that opens up their chest shows me their heart and says, so there. 
If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I got to ask you about Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. The Black Museum was adapted from a story idea of yours. How did you get involved with that? Uh, I uh, I was touring with an avant-garde band called The Residents yeah. out of San Francisco. I was touring their opera in 1981 as the narrator. And in Barcelona, Spain, I got wicked sick and taken to a a Barcelona hospital, which in 1981 were not the best hospitals in the world, where nobody knew where I where I was because I had been taken to the in an ambulance when no one from the crew was watching. Right. 
I spoke at the time no Spanish. The doctors spoke no English. I had a fever that I only saw in centigrade, but was wicked high. I was hallucinating out of my mind. And all I thought about was if one of these doctors could just feel the pain without me having to talk, they could diagnose it and fix me. Mm. In a fever dream, an actual fever dream, I imagined the whole story of The Pain Addict, which is my original short story that I published. And I, uh, I was taken out of that hospital by one of the band members who was a tough American who just said, get your fucking hands off them. We're Americans. Get your fucking hands off them. Come on, Penn. And carried me out of the hospital and left me in a hotel room in Barcelona for three days with a dancer who was left to take care of me uh, until I got better and joined, rejoined the troupe. Then many, many years later, I got to meet Charlie through a mutual friend in England. We went out for lunch and uh, we were having a wonderful time. And I said to him, you know, I don't want to turn this into a business meeting. I'm sure everybody pitches you. He said, boop, boop. I have been out of ideas for two years. Tell me anything. <laughs> and I told him the story idea. And he went, geez, that, that'd be really good. And then he said to me, listen, let me tell you about me as a collaborator. I don't answer the phone. I don't answer texts. I don't answer emails. I will tell you we're doing something. Then you will hear nothing about it for three months. Then I'll call you and talk for two hours. I will leave you out of the process. I'll throw things on your shoulders. I am the worst person to work with in the world, but I'd like to do this. I said, good. I called them, said, we're going to work on this. Nothing. <laughs> Six weeks later, he called me, talked for three hours and said, I'll send you a script and you can make notes on it. I said, great. I have some other notes on stuff we've been talking about. This will be great. I'll send you my notes. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Um, then he sent me the script. Eight months later, he sent me the script. I called him up. He answered and said, we're shooting next week. I said, <laughs> I have some thoughts. He said, I'm sure you do. We're shooting next <laughs> week. <laughs> I said, you know, I really wanted to audition for one of the roles. He said, I'm sure you did. It's cast. <laughs> I said, what, what is the credit? And he said, you'll be happy. He then gave me a fabulous credit and overpaid me. And okay. my agent said, we're going to call him and negotiate the fee. We're sure we can get him up from here. And I said, listen. For one time in show business, someone has paid me more than fairly. Right. I think we should reward this behavior and say, thank you. Yes. And it came out and people gave me all this credit and said, oh, it was your original story. And I said, yes, but a lot of what makes it good was not done by me. But thank you. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> He's I will now say he's the best person to work with you could ever work with. Right. 
makes you work not at all, gives you more credit, pays you well, goes away. Oh, that's amazing. And no, no email or call saying that came out okay, or I did a good job, didn't I? Nothing. <laughs> we went out to dinner afterwards when I was in Britain, and he said, yeah, that went well. And that was the entire amount we talked about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, you're, uh, how, how much of your shows now is written? Are you still... Are you still making it up as you go along? Obviously, there's a structure and a. Uh, I'm I'm uh, and teller. We're both the 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 biggest tight asses you've ever met. We do stuff that looks really dangerous and really isn't, and we're proud of that. And we do stuff, magic tricks that are really, really, really hard. <laughs> that means that although. There's a loose improvisation to begin with, and there are moments that I can improvise. Uh, if you come see our show two nights in a row, I scratch my nose at the exact same place. <laughs> I clear my throat at the same place. And if I change a line, which I sometimes do because of the audience or what's going on, there are eight people who go on high alert on headsets and say, Pen is off book. Everybody ready. <laughs> and they will they will follow me. But um, I know fabulous improvisers, and it would be disrespectful of me to say that I do any improvisation whatsoever. You're, you have a new book, Random, just released, available now. It's about a man who begins making life choices based on the role of his lucky dice. Uh, what what pushed you to write this story? Where did this come from? Uh, well, once again, uh, I don't get much credit for it. it. It's it's an unpleasant story. 30 years ago, I was doing a television show in England. And I'm going to change details of this story to make the story better, but more important to protect privacy, you'll understand as I go on. And there was a woman working with us on the show in a rather high position. And she called me into her office one day while we're doing the show. Said, can I talk to you? Closed the door. And I was like, hey now, but no. She said, I, I feel an affinity with you and I, I want to talk to you about something. So have you read a book called The Dice Man? And I said, no. She said, well, it's available. Uh, you got two days off. Read it. And I went, okay, I'm given homework with a show with my name in it. Okay. So I picked up the book and I read it and came back and she said, uh, what'd you think? And I said, well, you know, I don't like satire and I don't like parody. And this is both. It's making fun of uh, the Est movement, Warner Earhart. And I don't care about making fun of that. I didn't really like it much. But the idea that we have a society of mind, to use Marvin Minsky's phrase from MIT, we have a society of mind that makes decisions based on a voting within our head, and that the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh choices are sincerely part of us, but they never get expressed, fascinates me. And the idea of throwing a monkey wrench into there and making the loser parts be expressed fascinates me. Also, the idea of making a decision instantly is something I am so envious of. 
I try to do it in my life to make a decision and act on it and stick to it, but it's very difficult. All the doubting voices. And she said, yeah, yeah. I want to tell you a story. She said a few months ago, I was very close to my brother. I went to his apartment and I found that he'd killed himself. He'd hanged himself. And she said, I did what I had to do to get the funeral done. Then I shut down completely. She said, I was just sitting on the couch. She said, I don't even know for how long. She said, I guess I fed myself, but no talking to friends, nothing. I completely shut down. And she said, I'd read this silly book a few weeks before. And I said, I, I, I've got to act. And she said, I had dice at my, at my apartment. And she said, I made a bell curve, put seven at the most likely. So the things I put on that were very, very simple. Have a sandwich, take a shower, call a friend. So I threw the dice. And the second those dice hit, I had a religious feeling and I acted instantly. And I did it and it made all my decisions that way. And I said, wow, how long, how long did you do that? <laughs> and she opened a briefcase because 30 years ago when people didn't have backpacks, opened a briefcase and she showed me two dice in her briefcase, rather ornate. And I went, whoa, you're uh, still doing it? And she said, yeah. And I went, you know, it's, it's a weird thing, but none of the producers thought you would do our show because you were too good. And our show was just starting out. And when you did it, everybody was surprised. And she said, I rolled an eight. I said, so, so you decided to do our show. She said, it wasn't, it wasn't my first choice. I said, oh, you're in a pretty powerful position. Do you make choices on our show based on the dice? She said, only when I'm not sure. I said, so there, there's random stuff in our show brought in by you? She said, yes. And needless to say, that story stuck with me. And when I was out talking with my friends, I tell them about this woman I met. And they were all fascinated. And then I found out later on that Bushnell, what's his name? Bushnell, who started uh, Commodore Computers and Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. Lives by dice. I didn't know okay. that. Obviously, the question of why the hell did someone start Chuck E. Cheese, I've now answered for you. <laughs> I expect a written thank you the from you for that. The mouse? Yeah. There's, I have so many questions, but right. yes. Okay, go ahead. And it's all answered by dice, um, that other people do this, and that it's on the web. There's people that live dice life, as it's sometimes called. And two of my friends, during traumatic moments of their life, started doing it. And I said to them, I don't think you should. I think it's dangerous, but tell me all about it. <laughs> right. And um, then, and this is the easy part for anyone to understand, um, I thought it should be a TV show. So I pitched it and Showtime bought it and assigned a showrunner and then it fell apart because show business. Then someone else bought it. And then the lockdown came and... Uh, Ivanka Trump said, everybody should learn a language and write a book. So I did, because I do anything she tells me to. Um, I just figured, you know, I'm so sick of going to meetings and talking about this. I can just sit at my keyboard because God knows I spent enough time with my fucking family during this lockdown. I sit at my keyboard and I can type and I can write it as a book and I don't have to get anybody else on board. So I did that. And... Um, now, of course, 
someone's optioning it to make it into a TV to show. Because they right, read exactly. the book and thought, wow, this would be a good idea for a TV show. And I went, you know something? That's why you're a producer. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But that does, by the way, you know this, but your listeners may not. It will not get on the air. It'll not happen. I'm it just might. telling you. <laughs> it might. Actually, this one this one might. Most of them won't. <sighs> Penn, thank you so much for talking to me. I am uh I, I I will promise you this, and I'm not saying this because it can't happen, unfortunately. I am on a plane to Vegas tonight. I would come and see your show if it was happening tonight. But here's my pledge to you. The next time when you guys are back up and running and I'm in Vegas and I'm there quite a bit, I will I will come and say hello to you at your show. Oh, I would love I, that so much. And we'll we'll go backstage and make some jokes. I that. I I love that. And maybe maybe we can even eat if you're willing maybe. to go someplace <laughs> that's vegan and watch me eat dirt. If you're willing to do that. Hey, I'm know. always I'm all I that sounds like a party. Because you know, vegan no one wants to eat with a vegan, but if you're willing to accommodate that, I will go out and have something to eat. Okay. Uh, Penn, thank you so much. I'm going to pick up random and, Good. uh, I can't wait to read. Thank you so Hope much you like for coming it. on and yeah. uh, find out what part you want and then tell the producers. And, I, uh, I, I will. I'll say we got, we got Brian on board. Sorry. Last thing, the nail polish on your left hand. It's from my mom. It Is was originally. It was originally a joke when I was like 16. My mom said, if you're juggling, people are looking at your hands. You have to make them nice. And I said, you mean like this, mom? And I put on her nail polish and she was, oh, pen. And then I did it to mock her. And then later on, it turned into a thing um, like Carol Burnett's ear. You know, when yeah. I was on Letterman. I love it. I would do that to say hi to my mom. I love uh, it. And now Moxie my daughter has been claiming it was done for her. And I think my mother would approve of that lie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pleasure. Penn, thank you so much for talking to me, for taking so much of your time today. Absolutely fascinating stuff. I loved every single minute of it. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, and I might just have to start making some of my own decisions by the roll of a dice. As if I don't already. Uh, to everyone out there listening, thank you once again for your support. Next week, we have got a very exciting guest. Here's a hint. They are a person who has done great things. Ooh. We'll see you next week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton.
If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.